0: It's great to be with you guys. Would you please stand with me for the reading of God's word this morning? Um, I want to remind you that the reason why we're standing, this is more than just a religious ritual that I'm asking you to do. We're standing because for your spirituality to grow deep into your life, it has to be connected to your body. So the reason why we come here together, we sing songs together, we have carpet time where we can come and kneel, why we take bread and elements like wine why we confess our sin one to another and we re- receive prayer? It's because we're being rehabituated in, our, in terms of our loves. It has to be connected to our body. We're made mind, body, and soul. And so the reason why we stand is because Jesus gave incredible authority to Scripture as being inspired by God. God breathed. And so when we stand, we are counterculturally saying there's something very different about this book and this reading. So let's read scripture together from Galatians chapter 5, starting at verse 27 through chapter 6, verses 5. We must not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in any wrongdoing, You who are spiritual should restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you also won't be tempted, carrying one another's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone considers himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each person should examine his own work And then he will have a reason for boasting in himself alone and not in any respect to someone else, for each person will have to carry his own load. Let's take a minute and just receive those words in silence. Jesus, you're here with us right now. You walk in the midst of your church, you tell us. You're here to bear our burdens. You're here to help us enter into the blessing of bearing one another's burdens. And Jesus, we have burdens. Many of us come in here and we wonder if anyone cares. We wonder if you care. Would you please silence those wonders today? Answer those wonders with awe of your amazing love and strength and I pray that you beloved this morning you would have space to stop and listen to what the spirit wants to say to you because he loves you and he's here for you and if that's you right now and you're willing to say yes just quietly do that right now yes holy spirit I want to hear you in the name of the father and son and holy spirit amen Please be seated. We read that passage and that phrase that we read in there in verse two bearing one another's burdens. That's one of the many one another's that are commanded all throughout Scripture. It's why your series is called One Another. And I want to remind you that the whole reason why you're doing this series in the first place is because your church has a deep value for authentic community and wants to have a year of growing in and cultivating authentic community. But there's a question that each of you has to ask yourself and that I have to ask myself before you even start down that path. The question's not, do I want my church to value authentic community? Excuse me, I'll be doing some coughing throughout this series. I, I seriously was questioning whether or not we would even be able to come this week. I was in, a ba- in our basement on the sofa all week. And I'm so thankful to be healthy enough to be here with you right now. Seriously. Your church prayed for us. And it's, it's really a gift for us to be here. So the question isn't, do I want my church to value authentic community, Right? Because many of us, myself included, I grew up my whole life with generic brands. You gave me the option between the real thing and the generic, I'm taking authentic all day. Now the question is not, do I want my church to value that? The question is, am I willing to help build that kind of community? Because like building anything beautiful, building authentic community is hard. It requires a lot from you. It requires humility. It requires courage, empathy. It will make you feel uncomfortable. It will make you want to quit. It will require incredible amounts of commitment. But if you're willing to depend on the Holy Spirit, I guarantee you it will be worth it. And you know what? Our world needs it, man, more than ever. Our world is longing for authentic community. The Guardian recently ran an article on the epidemic of loneliness. They say, what clear social change or what clear social change marks out our time from those that preceded? For example, the age of reason or the industrial age or technological age. The author says, to me, it's obvious. This is the age of loneliness. The silver tsunami of aging baby boomers coupled with technology designed to connect people but that many argue is disconnecting folks, are just two reasons why experts have recently started using the word epidemic when referring to loneliness or social isolation. More than 42 million adults over the age of 45, and I'm quickly getting there myself, are estimated to be suffering from chronic loneliness. According to a 2010 study by AARP, Loneliness has been shown to have similar health ramifications as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Our world is longing for you and our churches all throughout San Francisco or Boston or everywhere in between to cultivate authentic community. And the good news is that the Holy Spirit is the one who's initiating that desire in the first place in you. He desires it more than you. He's inviting you into the mess so that you can look back and say, I was a part of that masterpiece. I was a part of building something that was really beautiful. And if you're willing to help build that kind of community, one of the primary ways that you do so is by learning to bear one another's burdens. To laugh or to rejoice with those who are rejoicing and to weep with those who are weeping. Paul the Apostle, and the author of this letter in Galatians, is writing to a community, which is why he opens with chapter 6, the word brethren. And notice the importance he places on the, or the imperative, to bear one another's burdens. Right away, verse 2, carry one another's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. He's actually not even saying, like, Stay away from all of these things and you'll fulfill the law of Christ. That's probably a part of it. Your personal holiness is connected to it. He's actually saying if you learn to bear one another's burdens, you will be fulfilling the law of Christ. We'll talk about that in a second, what that is. There is no formula for learning to bear one another's burdens, but I do want to leave you with a phrase. and The phrase is this. Jesus is birthed in our lives when we share one another's burdens. Jesus is birthed in our lives when we learn to share one another's burdens. And for the remainder of the time we have together, I want to split that phrase into two sections. Jesus is birthed in our lives and then sharing one another's burdens. I'm going to start with burdens. Because when Paul talks about the burdens in Galatians 6, it's a little confusing at first. On the one hand, Paul says that we're to bear one another's burdens in verse 2. We already saw that. And then at the end in verse 5, he says, but each person should, bear their, uh, should carry their own load. Is that a contradiction? What's the difference? You can tell the difference or define it in this way. A load in verse 5 is similar to a backpack of responsibilities. Each person that is in here, the person sitting next to you and you, <coughs> excuse, excuse me, all came in here with a backpack of responsibilities that have been committed to you. In fact, that what, that's what it means to become an adult. As a father, I'm helping my three daughters to not just be protected from everything in the world, my role is to help them learn to bear responsibility well. To become mature adults who care for others. So a load, in verse 5, is just the backpack that you carry of responsibilities. It's God's will for you as it's revealed in scripture. Learning to bear, handle your body and, and, and possess your body in faithfulness and holiness. It's learning to be grateful. It's caring for your family or honoring your singleness or honoring your marriage or uh, being connected to your local church community or to other believers in Christ and building what—excuse me one another up. It's learning to carry the backpack that's in front of you. Being faithful at your job. Being a good employee or employer. And yet we know that life can become one backpack after another. All of a sudden you're holding like five backpacks and now you're weighed down with burdens. The load became something different. It's more than just a backpack. A burden is a sofa on your back. And this is intentional. It's a little cheesy, but let's go with it. If you've ever tried moving a sofa in San Francisco by yourself, well, let me just say, if you've ever tried moving a sofa, period, in any apartment in San Francisco or in Boston, you realize quickly, you were never meant to bear that burden alone. (laughs) And you also realize if you help on the other end bear that burden, that sofa, What are you doing? You are actually coming under the weight of that burden yourself. You are shouldering the other end of the burden. And if you actually have to carry some of the burden on your back, it's painful, but you bring relief to another. And what happens as a result? You get pizza. No. (laughs) (laughs) What happens as a result? Is that you just, you feel like it is truly more blessed to give than to receive. A burden is defined as a heaviness, a weight that weighs down our souls and makes us weary. It fragments our mind and it makes it hard to think clearly or to focus. And do you know what some of the most burdensome burdens are? Guilt, shame, and fear. Fear. Those are the heaviest weights a burden can bear, which is why I believe Paul uses the word for burdens in verse 2 right after talking about someone caught in sin in verse 1. It's connected. Here's the verse with some parentheses in her inserted so you can help with understand, understanding the definitions. Brethren, if a person is overtaken or caught off guard, in the original language, in a fault a falling down as if in a mud hole, you who are spiritual, filled with the Holy Spirit, thus mature, restore, that means to set like a broken bone, such a one in a spirit of meekness, gentleness, lowliness, not a better-than-thou attitude, because you're considering yourself, your own weaknesses, looking carefully as if through a scope, lest you also be tempted. I believe that there are a few things that, or there's a few things that we actually learn from this passage. One is we all have burdens. At some time or another, we all walk in with burdens. And whether it's because it's self imposed or we've been sucked into the mud ourselves, it doesn't really matter. Sometimes we carry our load, and other times we're bent beneath the burden. Sometimes we're faithful with the backpack, which we often are. And then other times, life or your choices hands you a burden to bear that's beyond what you can carry. The sin that causes the burden could be personal sin in verse 1. Or it could be the result of living in a sin-stained world where people get cancer. Good people die. Loved ones get really sick. Children are afflicted. And those are the things we are never meant to carry alone. We're struck with emotional discouragement and depression, anxiety, fear, worry. It becomes so big and looming. How will, I, how will I face this? And those are the things that as they add up, they overwhelm us and they begin to, the enemy of our souls wants to use them to stunt your faith and to stunt your growth. And this is why God said, it's not good that humans be alone. I've made you to be in a community that's bearing one another's burdens. Number one, we all have burdens. Number two, we're not meant to bear them alone. And number three, the purpose of my spiritual maturity is to help other people bear their burdens. About a month ago, I co-led a men's training that took a group of guys through several exercises that went way beyond their area of comfort. I mean, every, you know, there was nothing weird about it. Um, our clothes stayed on the whole time, it was. We didn't paint our faces or our chests or anything, but we came close and um, we, what we did was we created space for vulnerability and grief and confession, and addiction, confession, and bitterness, and confession of envy and disappointment with God, and space for these guys to work through forgiving their moms and dads in areas they had never done before. And in one of the exercises, they literally had to shoulder a 50-pound sandbag. I think there's a picture up here. That's them. There was 37 selected guys to go through. Through this weekend, each of them were, met, they were asked to carry a 50-pound sandbag down to the water area and hold it until they were told not to, and it was a while. It all had a point, but <laughs> at one point, a couple of the guys really started struggling under the weight of the sandbag, as you can imagine. And it was obvious they were fumbling the bag. And a couple of us tried to go over there and help them, or a couple of the guys tried to walk over and help them carry that. And they were instructed, no, no, you don't help that person unless they ask you for help. And they could not be helped unless they were asked for help. And the goal, the purpose was not to drop the bag. And the beauty was in watching the other guys gladly come over when they were asked to help, to help shoulder the load, to literally get down on their knee, knee, hold their bag while holding this other bag at the same time. And far from making that person, that other man, be a burden, they actually created greater connection because it felt like they were one in this thing together. In a setting like that, it's obvious when someone's struggling under the weight of their burden, right? In a setting like this, it's not obvious. What's difficult about this kinds of setting is that the chances are that either you or the person that you're sitting next to is carrying some sofa that they feel so alone under right now. There are several people in this room, and you know who you are. You feel like you're carrying a sofa on your back. And the burden is so heavy. And the beauty is, that's where the greatness is of the gospel of the confession of sin or unbelief or hardness of heart, and especially a hurting heart. God wants you to bring it to him. Cast all your cares, cast all your burdens on him, for he cares for you, the psalmist says. The psalmist says at one point, God tells Israel, I freed Israel's shoulder from the burden that they were carrying when he called on me. Yeah, God wants you to bring your burden to him. He wants to lift your burden. He wants to use you to lift the burden of others. And one of the primary ways that he lifts burdens off of backs is through other believers around you. So then how do we practically bear one another's burden? I think it's a combination of things. I'm going to put it in a sentence for you. I think that we need Humble courage to confess our needs and get our hands dirty. Humble courage. Verse 27 of chapter 5. We must not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Chapter 6, verse 3. For if anyone considers himself to be something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Paul says we often don't share our burdens with others or carry the burdens of others or even build authentic communities because either we have a we're working really hard to have an inflated view of ourselves, or envying one another a deflated view of ourself. Either we tend towards envying others and we constantly see ourselves as below other people or we are tempted and tend toward elevating ourselves and portray ourselves above others. And as a result, I can't really share my burdens with you because you're not safe because we're constantly competing against one another. Or I can't share my burdens with you because I'm controlling my self-image the way that you see me, I want be, to be seen as elevated. Or the way that I see you and I'm controlling your image, I see you as elevated. But I'm really not being honest with myself that the only way to really live this thing out is through interdependent sharing of one another's burdens. Carrying your burden is such a control thing. The truth is, none of us likes our burdens. But the reason why we continue to carry them by ourselves is because you like control. We want to control our outcome and we want to control our image. You have to allow others to help you, which means you have to at some point actually let go of control. I don't know what this is going to turn out like. And I don't know how you're going to view me if I ask you for your help been trying to practice this in my own life, which is why the moment I landed and I arrived and I was at SFO, faced with the challenge of do I rent a car or call Uber, I was like, you know what? I'm calling my friend Dave Lomas and I'm just going to ask him if I can borrow his car. (laughs) I got a burden, bro. (laughs) And it's one that you can answer. (laughs) I will be Ubering home this afternoon also. We, have, we need humble courage, secondly, to confess our need. And I want to point out, notice what Paul doesn't say. He doesn't say, expect others to bear your burdens. He doesn't say that, which is the challenge. Because when you expect others to bear your burdens, that sets you up for incredible disappointment, discouragement, especially within the family of Jesus. I know because I've done it several times. I've expected others to step in, but I wasn't specific about my burden or how I actually needed help and allowing them to say yes or no, whether or not they could do it based on their own boundaries and limitations. And partly the reason I wasn't specific is because of the previous verses we, we, just, we just read. What will they think of me if I ask this? Sometimes you will be let down by other people. Which is why in the Psalms, again, Psalm, I think it's Psalm 55, it's a psalm all about betrayal of a friendship. And it's at the end of that psalm that the psalmist says, Cast your burdens on the Lord, and he will care for you. We understand that at times people will let us down. Thirdly, we need humble courage to confess our need to get our hands dirty. It's not just about our burden, remember. At times, we are to look around at the needs of others so that we can get our hands dirty. As I was preparing for this talk, I was reminded of a story in this book I love called Chasing Francis, which is the story of a New England preacher who's basically burnt out after having a, um, an emotional breakdown in front of his church on stage. He is forced into a, a sabbatical. He goes on a pilgrimage in the footsteps of St. Francis of Assisi recapturing silence and awe and beauty and the ancient traditions of faith. And it really begins to ignite his own faith in a powerful way. But there's this one scene in particular that strikes me every time I read it. Towards the end of his pilgrimage, when he thinks his, all of his learning and all of his ideas and understanding of his new ignition of faith is like complete, the nun takes him to a communal home for men with AIDS. And when he walks in, he's surprised by how apprehensive he feels. The nun explains that the mo- that most of the men have been abandoned by their families, but she, she serves them. Every day she goes there with meals, gives them baths, in hopes that they will see Jesus in her. And she takes hold of one particular man's arm. She walks him up to this man who is basically, at this point, skin and bones. And she takes him... She takes uh, this man, this preacher, by the arm upstairs to see this emaciated and dying man who needs a bath. And he's nervous, but he follows her and he helps the man into the water with her by his skeletal shoulder blades. But then she takes it even further and she asks him to wash the dying man's body, including his genitals. (coughs) And he says this I was speechless. The stick man looked at me as if to say, what will you choose to do now? There's a tensile surface on the water that's always fascinated me. I've ruminated before about that infinitesimally thin layer of resistance when preparing for baptisms. Is the water giving the candidate one last chance to go back? A last-minute opportunity to pull away and say no to the intense yet life-giving drowning that lies ahead? Or... Is it a reminder that there really is a separation between this fallen world and the next? As I pushed against my revulsion and plunged the sponge beneath the water, I thought of it again but refused its invitation to hold back. I'd passed through a border into the depths and found I could still breathe there. My terror and embarrassment was replaced by peace edging towards sublime joy. And when he walks down the stairs, he's met by his friend, Maggie. And he says, I must have looked dazed because she looked at me sideways. And she said, what happened up there? And he said, I think I became a Christian. There's a blessing to be found in bearing one another's burdens. There's a humble courage where you confess your need. And at some point, you got to get your hands dirty to do so. To help them lift the burden, you receive a little bit more light. You are transformed a little bit more. You find that you can breathe in that discomfort. What does that look like? Maybe it just looks like asking a friend how they are today. Maybe it looks like you're inviting someone to a shared meal. Or you're just addressing lovingly some concern or some sin in another person's life. Asking them, are they okay Maybe you're just enjoying a good belly laugh together. You're going to enjoy a good movie together. Maybe you're going to give someone a generous gift who's struggling financially. Maybe you'll babysit for a couple who needs to connect. Ask God to show you how you can care for others. And the beauty is that you're not meant to bear other people's loads alone either. That's the importance of community around you. And that's what it means to bear one another's burden. But secondly, and lastly, how is Jesus birthed in our lives as we do so? Verse 2, Paul says, Carry one another's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ that Paul's speaking about, we'll talk about that in a moment. But when Paul talks about burdens, most commentators, he's probably taking one last swipe at the Judaizers who were the false teachers in Israel. Who were trying to get the Galatian Christians to come under the Mosaic law to relate to God through legalism and earning God's, God's favor. So in this drama over ceremonial law, their requirements were called burden. And in the controversy over Jewish and Gentile Christianity, Paul's basically saying this, don't go around laying heavy burdens on people to fulfill the law of Moses. Go around lifting heavy burdens off of people to fulfill the law of Christ. And what's the law of Christ? Jesus said it, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all your soul and all your strength and to secondly, love your neighbor as yourself. And in this way, There's no law against anything. When we feel that load being lifted, we feel God's love, which compels us to share it with others. When we feel the load being lifted off our own backs, we say, God, how can I help enter into the work that you're doing to lift the load off of other people? And obedience begins to flow from that. One way you can tell the difference between whether or not you are living under the law of legalism, trying to earn the favor of God versus the law of love and receiving the beautiful acceptance of Jesus through faith is to ask yourself, am I being motivated by love? Am I being filled with joy and peace, kindness? gentleness and patience and self-control, the fruit of the Spirit, which Paul just talked about in chapter 5 of Galatians. And you know what? There's no clearer picture of someone living out the law of Christ than the one we see in the book of Ruth. Isn't that a beautiful book? Ruth is a Gentile daughter-in-law of Naomi. Ruth has lost her husband in a severe famine, but her mother-in-law, Naomi, lost her husband and her two sons, one of which is Ruth's husband. And as a result, she's lost everything she loves, her source of income, her cultural identity. And understandably, Naomi's burdens have turned into an all-consuming bitterness. So she starts to try to isolate herself. She tells her daughter, her daughter's-in-law to take off so that she can be alone and essentially die alone. One leaves, but the narrator says, Ruth clung to Naomi. But this act of devotion still isn't enough to shed Naomi's bitterness. How many of you know that at times if you've helped somebody bear their burdens, it still wasn't enough in the initial time? And you're wondering, gosh, I went over there and even helped them carry their couch. She's resigned to hopelessness, godless existence. She's become so blinded, Naomi has by her bitterness that she can't assess her situation clearly any longer. She even gets to the point where she asks people around her hometown to no, call her, no longer call her Naomi, which means delightful, but to call her Mara, which means bitter. Which of you wants to bear this burden of Naomi's? Not me. But in the midst of Naomi's pain and doubt and emptiness and anger at God, Ruth determines to bear Naomi's burdens with her. Ruth sees the storm of hopelessness and bitterness that's devouring her mother-in-law and she still enters into it. And so the two of them set off for Bethlehem and Ruth has this conversion experience. She's willing to bear the spiritual and emotional and physical burdens of Naomi, willing to bear that ingratitude and that selfishness and that bitterness. And here's some of the burdens that she actually bears for Naomi, loneliness by sticking with her. Spiritual poverty and anger at God by swearing an oath to God, she claims the Lord's power and presence in both of their lives. She bears her bitterness and selfishness. She bears her financial poverty by actually going to work and gleaning from another man's field to bring the produce back to her mother-in-law. So she decides to do so. She takes advantage of this law of God that's uh, this provision in the Old Testament that allows widows to gleam from the fields. And by God's providence, she happens to come across the field of a man named Boaz, who just happens to be the kinsman redeemer, the man who can actually also bear the burden for their family. So Boaz does a little Facebook stalking. (laughs) And he realizes that Ruth is actually gleaning for her mother-in-law, and her mother-in-law is a part of his family heir. He's generous with her. He tells her, may the Lord reward you for your deeds. And may you have full reward from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wing you've come for refuge. Boaz shares parts of his crop. He shares his food and drink. And he gives her special instructions for how she is to reap so she can reap even more from his field. And then he becomes the second burden bearer in the story. He's the kinsman redeemer, which means he can marry Ruth and actually bring uh, them back to full financial health and reputation. So he's like, hey, what are you doing for the rest of your life, Ruth? (laughs) And what does he do? He begins to bear the spiritual and emotional poverty for both of these women through his own generosity. And when Ruth returns home, Naomi is stunned by the amount that she's gleaned and the the way that God has turned her situation. And it's the first time in the book that her tone begins to change. And for a brief moment, her spirit is lifted and she stands up tall again. And when she finds out where it's come from, she bursts out loud with a blessing on Boaz and praise of God saying, blessed be the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Man. Man. Ultimately, Naomi's faith is restored. Her confidence in God is regained. God's steadfast love breaks through into her life, begins to melt the coldness of her heart and the pain that's been there. And her relationship with Naomi, Ruth actually bears her burden and restores her faith, remember, like a bone that's been broken. See, the way that we bear one another's burdens, even the way that we confront one another when we've been wronged or have done wrong, is not through force. We're not calling people out. We're calling people up. Like a doctor who's breaking a bone and saying, I know it hurts. How can I help? How can I help restore? But there's one other thing. Remember we said that Jesus is birthed in our lives when we share other people's burdens? I don't know why God does this, but it was through this Gentile woman and through this other woman who lost everything she had and who felt like she was so bitter and disrespected that Jesus ultimately was born from their line. Ruth and Boaz have a son named Obed, and then they have a son named David, who becomes the king of Israel somehow, and then from the line of David comes the Messiah. Jesus is birthed in our lives when we bear one another's burdens. And hundreds of years before the birth of Christ, the prophet Isaiah wrote the words that so clearly describe how Jesus would bear our burdens. In Isaiah 54, he says, Surely this Messiah took up our pain and bore our suffering. And we considered him punished by God, stricken and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquity. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. And yet all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord laid on his back the iniquity of us all. See, Jesus didn't just carry your couch, he carried your cross. He doesn't just say, Put your burdens on my back. He actually says, I want you to get on my back. I will carry you. That's why he says in Matthew 11, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened and burnt out by religion, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I am gentle and humble in heart and you'll find rest for your soul because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He flips the script. We don't bear one another's burdens to make ourselves feel good or even to make others feel good. As the body of Jesus, we bear one another's burdens, big and small, because that's how Jesus loves you. Jesus loves to bear your burden. And right now, Christ is sitting, standing next to you, closer than your next breath, saying, Honey, son, it's time. You place those on my back. You climb up on my back. You're done with that burden. You trust it into my hands. I love you. You remember our initial question? Are you ready to build authentic community? Because through faith in Jesus, you have been born again. You're united to Christ, who is the ultimate burden bearer. And if you want Jesus to be birthed in your life, through your life, multiple times, you learn to bear one another's burdens. I'm going to pray, but I want to give an invitation to you right now. So let me first pray, and then I'll invite you into that. Father in heaven, thank you for your mercies that are new this morning and that you're here to bear our burdens. We cast all our cares on you now. We roll them onto you because you care for us. In the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, amen. Amen.